Welcome to the Darwinian Demon Podcast. I'm blue mood, y'all. I slap a job, y'all. I'm nicely deep, y'all. Invented time, y'all. In 10 fourths, y'all. I play a cap, y'all. I play a link, y'all. And draw it down, too. I bust raps, y'all. In love with naps, y'all. The sweet beats, kid. I speak my thoughts, y'all. Yesterday was the craziest day I have ever witnessed as an American. By far. What went down yesterday with Trump and Putin, that was... I mean, people keep talking about treason. They calling it um, treason (laughs) and treason. Yeah. You just saw the president of the United States commit treason live on TV. That was that is bananas. I never thought I would see something like that. You know, you figure you do it behind closed doors. He did it right there in front of us. And the thing that's I mean, first of all, the. First of all, it should be clear to anybody who's halfway objective that Putin clearly has some shit on Trump. Or should I say some piss on Trump? But he clearly has something over on him. But the only thing about yesterday, I mean, really it was depressing, but there was one thing about it that was funny. And what was interesting, what what was funny was watching the Trump, uh, all the Trump people on Twitter watching their, they, they, they kind of went through like these five stages of grief. They, 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 if you watched them, they, their tweets were all over the place and they were trying so desperately to try to, you know, mitigate this or act like it was nothing. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty hilarious to watch. And so, they got these five stages and I had to just go through. I got to just show you these five stages that they went through. And this is, they kind of went through these in chronological order. This is, this, this is kind of how they went through them. So first when it happened, I follow a few of these right wing people on a lot of these, few of these Trump people on Twitter, just, just cause it's interesting. They are really, they're a lot more interesting than, than us libtards. But, um, or me as a libtard. I, I don't know why I'm including, including you in that. But so first of all, first of all, they try to just they just lie. They just try to like take it head on and just lie. Say, well, no, that's not what happened. There's no collusion. They just try to try to go straight up and just say, like, look, what you're seeing is not real. That shit didn't happen. No, the mainstream media is at it again. You know, they try to act like you what you saw didn't actually happen. So that's not working. That's clearly not working. Right. That's you know, no one's believing it. And they don't believe it themselves, right? They saw it. So then they start going on the on the libtards, on the liberals. Like, oh, the liberals are so crazy. Look, they're going crazy. They're losing themselves over nothing. They're going crazy about nothing. So basically they try to say, again, I mean, they're trying to say it's nothing, but then they try to deflect it onto the crazy liberals. And so, you know, they show some pictures. I guess they had like a gay pride march slash protest at the, in the UK for Trump. So, they, you know, they get the most outlandish pictures they can get from that and say that you know and try to get try to basically deflect from that that doesn't work they probably still feel some kind of way about what they just saw then they try you know then then they try to uh change the subject and so they say like oh well um you know XYZ is happening. Like I saw one, 
you know, something that has nothing to do with, with what, with the Trump Russia thing. They just start talking about that. So I saw, you know, so one of them start talking about how much he enjoys dogs. Like all of a sudden the thing went from like the, the, the dude's timeline is all political, but then all of a sudden it just goes to dogs and he starts talking about dogs. And you know other other, and then he starts talking about how how San Francisco has has uh, human feces all over the sidewalks and all this stuff, which it it does. And so you know he starts going on about he basically starts anything but but the Trump stuff. He doesn't want to talk about anything but the but the Trump stuff, right? So so they try changing the subject, and then. And then they go back to um, trying to find anybody. They go to anybody they can find, any, you know, no matter how old, how insignificant, anybody who can find who says that it wasn't treason. You know, one, one, uh, one site brought up Pat Buchanan. It's like, Pat Buchanan? Pat Buchanan is from the 80s. Like one site brought up Pat, I guess Pat Buchanan said it wasn't treason or, or, or said something kind of light about it. So then they try to like bring up all these other people who support their case, you know, like these, like all of a sudden Rand, for some reason, Rand Paul is totally into Russia. So, you know, there's a lot of like a lot of support for Rand Paul out there among these people. They're talking about Rand Paul. And then finally that doesn't work. And so they go to their, you know, this is how, this is how they admit guilt. This is how they know if you are on a Trump if you're in an argument with a Trump person or you see a Trump site and they do this, this is them admitting guilt. Basically, they started with the the last stage was, well, Obama did it in 2016 and nobody cared. So now they're, they, you know, they're talking about, I guess Obama had a meeting where he shook Putin's hand or he, you know, something, something along those lines. But basically, they're trying to say Obama was great friends with Putin too and he kissed Putin's ass and so nobody and nobody cared then all ridiculous but yeah I mean it's the stages of grief it's it's something that they went through that they're because I wonder I mean you know they're they're back at it today they're still doing it but they they um it must have really shook their their uh their foundation to see their boy out there Kissing Putin's ass so blatantly, like not even hiding it. But anyway, I I I digress. Let's let's talk about chance and and evolution, because that's what this episode's really about. I just had to get that off my chest. So, chance, evolution. There is a lot of there's a huge role for chance in evolution, and it's a it's really important. These chance or 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 stochastic processes. That's another word for chance. Stochastic processes are, um, they're very important in evolution. And there are two that I'm going to, uh, that I'm, I'm going to talk about today. And these processes are um, mutation and genetic drift. Both of them are, you know, both of them depend heavily on stochastic processes. So mutation, first of all, let's, well, before we talk about that, let's, let's contrast, before I talk about mutation and, and drift, let's contrast them with another process, another evolutionary process, the most famous evolutionary process, natural selection. Now, natural selection 
is not a stochastic process. Natural selection is what's called a deterministic process. Meaning that, you know, there's, if, if you give, if you set up the same set of conditions, you'll get the same result. So, you know, I'm thinking of a, a good, a, a good example of that. Let's say birds, right? Birds need to fly. Well, if you set up the same example, the same situation, birds will always, whatever the ancestor of birds are, that will evolve to, to they will evolve to fly, for example. So no matter what, what, no matter what you do, well, not no matter what you do, but if you set up the same conditions, you get the same result with natural selection. So given some ecological situation and genetic variation, you will get the same result every time with natural selection. Or at least that's how we evolutionary biologists model it. And that's, that's definitely what it seems to look like in nature. The problem is you seldom see the same initial set of conditions, but that's how natural selection is supposed to work. Now, in contrast, you have these two, two stochastic processes or processes that, de- that depend on stochastic events. And those, those two processes are mutation and genetic drift. So first I'm going to talk about mutation, and then I'll, I'll walk you through genetic drift. Now, mutation, we, we pretty much all have an idea for what mutation is. Mutation is just random changes in DNA sequence. As base level, that's what mutations are. They're just random changes at, at, in the DNA sequence. So you know you, you have a DNA sequence you have this stuff called DNA and DNA in your body that is the genetic code that basically tells these proteins how to construct you. Well, this code is this code is made up of these bases. That's where they, these bases are: these A's, T's, C's, and G's. You know, you, you've probably all seen some illustration of that. Well, a mutation is when you when there's basically a mistake in copying that that DNA. And so in, a, in one spot where there's supposed to be an A, there could be a T. Or in a spot where there's supposed to be an A, the A could be just deleted. And so everything could get shifted. You know, it's kind of like reading a book. You're trying to read a book and one of the words is gone. And so the whole, everything is shifted over. You know, or something could be added where there's supposed to be a, an A. There, there is an A, but now there's a, there's, you know, there's another A after it. Something like that. So you end up with this shift where there's two where there's two A's where there was supposed to only be one A. So again, you know, you know these random mistakes. And the key feature of, of mutation in these is first of all that it, is that it is random. There's no evidence that mutations are um, directed. And so that there, so it is random. But then the other thing about mutations that's to keep in mind is that most mutations, the vast, vast, vast majority of mutations are deleterious, meaning the vast majority of of mutations have a detrimental effect on the individual that carries the mutation. And so these deleterious mutations, they can, you know, they can exist in an individual, they can exist in populations, and they usually are removed by natural selection if the population is large enough. And we can talk about that. We're going to talk about the effects of population size when we talk about genetic drift. But if the population is large enough, they'll, they'll be removed. 
Now, in addition to these deleterious mutations, there are very, very rarely there are beneficial mutations. And beneficial mutations are the ultimate source of adaptation. So all the adaptations we see, everything that we think makes organisms cool, all those things come as a result of beneficial mutations. But beneficial mutations are very, very rare. And so the, the probability, the chance of, of getting a, a, a new beneficial mutation is low. And there are two things about these beneficial mutations that really heavily depend on chance. First of all, the time, the time it takes to get a beneficial mutation. So again, mutation is an undirected process. And so let's say a population is in an environment and there, a, a beneficial mutation comes, comes in the population, arrives in the population. So some individual gets, you know, gets some, some new mutation that is actually helpful that is actually an adaptation. Then that new mutation will cause that individual to have high fitness and the mutation will spread to that individual's offspring and spread throughout the population. So that's basically how natural selection and beneficial mutations interact. Well, once the beneficial mutation is in the population, it's not really a matter of chance. It's, it's a deterministic process. But it is a matter of chance as to whether the population will get the beneficial mutation and how long it takes for this beneficial mutation to arise. Those two are totally governed by chance. Those are totally stochastic, meaning, again, they can't be, you know, given, given you, you don't know when these things are going to happen. You can't even find out. It's kind of like flipping a coin. You just don't know when these things are going to happen, and they're totally um, determined by chance. And then finally, then the other, you know, the other, the other aspect of mutations that's given by chance I've already alluded to is whether or not a mutation will be beneficial. So beneficial mutations are rare, but let's say you have a, a specific, let's say there's going to be a mutation at some spot. The chances of that mutation being beneficial are rare, but there still is a chance. There still is a chance it could be beneficial. The chance is really, 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 really small. But there is still a chance. And so that's another place where chance or, or, or stochastic, stochastic events have a, have a huge effect on, on evolution. And so that's, mutation is, is one aspect of, of, ch of how chance can, can operate. The other evolutionary process that depends on chance is this process called genetic drift. And genetic drift comes about as a result of finite population size. That's really what it comes about. So the only way genetic drift can't operate is if a population is infinitely large. And, of course, that's, that's impossible. It's impossible to have a population that's infinitely large. And so genetic drift is always happening. The thing is genetic drift is stronger when populations are smaller. So the effects of genetic drift get stronger and stronger with smaller and smaller populations. So, you know, for example, let's say we have, let's say you have a, an, let's, let's, let's talk about a trait first, I guess. So the, let's talk about, or this, this trait of 
people being able to smell um, asparagus pee. So just some background. Some people, if they if they eat asparagus, their pee stinks. I know I'm talking. The reason I'm talking about pee is I guess I'm, I must be thinking about Donald Trump and whatever Putin's got on him. Anyway, so this, so the stinky pee. So some people can some people can smell the pee, and some people can't smell the stinky pee after they eat asparagus. And that's under some type of genetic control. Control. It's not really totally understood, but it's under some type of genetic control. Now let's say we have a small island, and half of the people on the island can smell the stinky pee, and half of the people on the island can't smell the stinky pee. Well, let's say just on this on this island, you know, you got 20 people on the island. Half can smell the pee, half can't. And let's say 15 other people who are on the island go to one side of the island to go fishing. And and within that within that group of people, um, within that 50, those 15 people, you know, nine of the nine of the 10 people who who can't smell the the stinky pee, they go on the fishing trip. So there's one person who can't who can't smell the stinky pee who didn't go on the fishing trip. Well, let's say a tsunami comes and hits that part of the island, hits that half of the island. Everyone who went fishing dies. Now the island has was it have left? Now it has six people left. Or it has, yeah, it has, it has, sorry, it has five people left. Four of the people can't smell the pee. And one of the people, or four of the people can smell the pee. And one of the people can't smell the stinky pee. So the proportion used to be, the proportion of people who can't smell this pee used to be 50%, but now it's gone down drastically, right? It's, it's one in five. It's, it's 20%. So that's the effect of genetic drift. That happened because the population was small. Now, why is it sm- why is it that the population was small? What what have what having the population be small haven't have to do with anything? Well, let's say you had an island with a thousand people, right? What are the chances? It's a very low chance that if you had an island with a thousand people, that nearly half of the people who go to one side of the island just randomly are the people who who have this asparagus pee gene. This asparagus, this this gene where they can't smell the asparagus, the, the stinky pee, right? That chance is much lower because you're talking about 500 people, and odds are, if you have when you when you're dealing with such a large number, 500 of those people, of 500 people, 250 of them will be able to smell the stinky pee, and the other 250, 250 will not be able to smell the stinky pee. And the reason is because you're, it's, it's basically a reason of sampling. You have so many different, you have, you have a thousand chances, right? You have a thousand, and so, the, and so you're going to stick with the original frequency just because the population is larger. There's, little, there's less room for stochastic events to happen. There's less room. It's basically, it's the same kind of thing where if you were, you know, we go back to this, to our example with the, with the 20 with the with the 20 people on the island if you just randomly select 10 people from those 20 people on the island you could end up with a you know you could end up with eight people who have it's it's well within the realm of possibility to end up with eight people who have the the gene where they can't smell the pee 
But now let's say you have a thousand people and you sample and you sample 500 of them. There's almost no chance of sampling 400 people who can't smell the, the stinky asparagus pee. So again, these effects of small population, the effect of population size um, or population size really drives the effect of genetic drift. And this can have a, this genetic drift can also weaken the effects of natural selection. So again, in that island where people can smell the pee or can't smell the pee, when you have these small populations, natural selection can't really work well at all with small populations for, this, for sort of the same reasons. Accidents happen, yada, yada, yadas happen, and it's just very difficult for natural selection to work with, these, with such small populations because chance events can change basically can change these these gene frequencies and can change can 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 change what effects natural selection is trying to achieve and there are two main examples of of genetic drift that we teach that that are taught in in college level courses right there's there are founder effects and so that's the effect of starting a population with a small number of individuals so let's say you have a population and it started by 20 individuals who randomly, for some reason, can't smell this, this stinky asparagus pee. Well, you go back a few hundred generations, you, you start, sorry, you go forward a few hundred generations from that, and then you got a whole population, thousands of individuals who can't smell the, who can't smell the stinky asparagus pee. All right, that's the founder effect. Same thing with a bottleneck. You could have a population, you know, you, you could have the same thing where you have 50 individuals, I'm sorry, you have 1,000 individuals, half of them can smell the stinky pee, half of them can't smell the stinky asparagus pee. And then for some reason there's some calamity that hits the population and only 10 individuals survive. Well, there's a very low chance that if you sample those 10 individuals, if you sample if you just randomly pick 10 individuals, five will have the gene that allows them to smell the stinky pee and five will, will not have that gene or, or, or be able to smell the stinky pee and not be able to smell the stinky pee because, again, it's not just one gene. So the allele frequency will change just because the population shrunk for some random reason that has nothing to do with, with the, this being able to smell that stinky pee. And so the thing that, that's also interesting about, about genetic drift that you might have noticed is that it's always changing these frequencies of these genes. It's always causing this change in the population. So the population's one way, genetic drift happens, and now the population's another way. Well, the, the other thing that, that genetic drift can do and makes it really complicated for evolutionary biologists is genetic drift can often look like natural selection. So without knowing anything about the ecology, without knowing anything about what's going on, it can seem, genetic drift can seem like natural selection. So in that first example I gave where most of the individuals who couldn't smell the, the, the asparagus pee died in the tsunami, 
if an evolutionary biologist were to go back and look at that population, it would look as if not being able to smell the stinky pee um, was detrimental to fitness. And, and basically that natural selection eliminated it from the population or cut, cut the number way down from the population. Well, that's not true. Remember in the example, that was just, that just happened randomly. That was just chance. And so without actually understanding the ecology, you can really get, an evolutionary biologist can really get tripped up by the effects of genetic drift. And remember, genetic drift is always happening. Now, it's pretty weak when populations are large. You know, you get to like, you know, and, and by large, I mean something like, you know, a thousand individuals. But as populations get smaller and smaller, the effects of genetic drift can get stronger and stronger. And so, you know, finally, I just want to think about this one, just have you think about this one thought experiment where, just think about the earth, right? So we have the earth and we got life on earth. Imagine if we were able to recreate this whole process, right? If we were, if we were God and we could say, okay, I'm going to recreate the earth and start with all the same initial conditions and then let's go back a few, let's, let's go forward. I keep saying, let's go forward a few billion years and see where we end up. So we have the earth that we're on now and then we have our hypothetical earth that we created to see how it changed. So the difference between those two earths it's probably mostly, you know, that's, that's the effect of chance on evolution. So the, the difference in the type of creatures that are on Earth, you know, what, they're, what they look like, what they, what they eat, what they do, all those things, the difference between those two Earths is really the effect of chance on evolution. And so it probably, you know, I would guess that those two Earths would look very different. But that's because I think chance has a huge role in evolution. Some evolutionary biologists disagree. But that's a topic for another episode. Well, all right. Hopefully, the uh, the Trump Trump Twitter will 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 bounce back and get back to being their old punchy selves. And um, I can't wait to see that tape. I know it's going to come out one day. Until the next episode.